In partnership again with the HBCU Experience Movement and their new book that's coming out this June, the HBCU Experience, the Southern University System Edition. I am interviewing the co some of the co-authors of this book, and I hope you enjoy all of these episodes in this season to help out the HBCUs and spread awareness for HBCUs. I would like to introduce to you Dr. Drummond because I couldn't pronounce her first name and I told her I was going to mess it up and I'm not going to mess it up. So she's Dr. Drummond. And Dr. Drummond is a native of Houston, Texas. She is a lawyer, author, black culture advocate, accomplished compliance consultant, political strategist, diversity advisor, and leadership trainer. She holds a BA in political science from Texas State University and a Juris Doctorate from Southern University Law Center. Dr. Drummond currently serves as the Special Assistant to the President of Legal Services Corporation in Washington, D.C., where she assists other great attorneys in expanding equal access to justice. Dr. Drummond is the founder of Inc. Up, of the the ink up through which she desires to create a community of affordable literary services and increase exposure to the black literary community by staying educated to strengthening the power of black literature and those behind the pen additionally she is the founder and ceo of capital strategies llc which is the first black owned ngo compliance and financial services firm in the United States and activate a nonprofit with a mission to help the formerly incarcerated make a true transition back into society and thrive. Lastly, Dr. Drummond also alongside of other black leaders became a co-founder and single senior legal advisor of Black Culture Weekly, a platform created to revolutionize and centralize media through action for Black audiences to have access to the things they believe in and enjoy. Dr. Drummond believes that limits are meant to be to hold back a person's inner genius and doesn't see a reason to box herself in. To that end, she released her first self-published book, Through the Eyes, Surrendering the Ties of My Soul, in September 2020. The book dives deep into how her past trauma played a role in how she moved through life and how breakthrough her how breaking her soul ties allowed her to become the woman she is today. Dr. Drummond is currently working on her first fiction book and is excited to explore the possibilities of her mind's creativity. Above all her accomplishments, Dr. Drummond takes pride in her biggest role as a wife and mother of her two sons. She enjoys adventure cooking new dishes 
and she pretends to be as she pretends to be on a contestant on Top Chef, traveling across the world, binge watching TV series and organizing her happy planner. When it's all said and done, Dr. Drummond pledges her life's mission to uplift others, expand access to the underserved, be a vessel for the unheard, and tackle injustice across the nation. So tell me a little bit about uh, who you are and uh, what made you decide to uh, attend the HBCU. And it sounds like you didn't go to HBCU for undergrad, did you? Yeah, so originally I I went on volleyball scholarship to HBCU, which was Dillard University. Um, and, but that wasn't my first choice. You know, I wasn't, I played volleyball competitively. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to a D1 and it's going to be, you know, one of these top tier schools. Well, for my position, I was a libero. Um, they don't really give full rides. So I was getting a lot of like D1s that were um, interested in me and offering me, but they were only offering me partials. And my mom was like, I can't afford, um, you know, you to go to a school for part-time and we, I'm not part-time partially. And we don't know if, um, they're going to fulfill those last like two years. And I was like, you're right. And so I ended up um, graduating under, I mean, high school early, went to a junior college, um, in, I went to junior college in Kansas, but before the actual first semester of my supposed to be freshman year, I ended up getting a scholarship to Dillard, went there, definitely a culture shock because I come from Houston. So that's a melting pot, like where where I grew up in Missouri City. And then um, I left there after one semester. My mom just, I guess she thought I was too engulfed in black culture at that point. I don't know. She wasn't having it. It was just a little (laughs) bit much for her. But, you know, it's in New Orleans. It's a different type of vibe there, you know. So Uh I um, left there. And then, yes, I graduated from Texas State University. It's a um, PWI. And at the time that I went there, it was really not a lot of black people there. Um, now, more so, it's really more of a balance. But when I went there, it wasn't many. It was probably like 500 of us on campus mm-hmm. out of like 40,000 students. So, right. um, I, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't my first choice. But that's because I was basing it on a volleyball perspective. And yes. I, I played with predominantly uh, white people and at that time, like back then, for whatever reason, I just always felt like whenever we would play black talented teams, they we would always beat them, not because they weren't talented, but because like their attitudes would get in the way. But that's a lot of stuff that we don't realize is like generational. So, you yeah. know, in hindsight, I didn't look at that, you know. And mm-hmm. so when I got to Dillard, I played on the all black team and we would win a lot of games, but we would also lose to just as equally prepared black team I mean white teams because of our our egos and our attitudes Mm -hmm. together and it was just it was just crazy to be a part of that but um but going there leaving there and going to a PWI let me led me to believe that I would never go to another PWI if I went forward past that degree because it's not the same you're a number um at a PWI and at um a smaller HBCU whether it's big or small, you are like family. You know, everybody knows everybody's name. So it, it, it was a different dynamic. I wish I would have chosen um, on my own cognizance to go to an HBCU and stay there. And uh, so how did you get to Southern, right? Because 
So my dad is a Southerner mom, so it was almost not a choice. If I was going to go to an HBCU, I knew which one it had to be. And they just so happened to have a law school. Um, My aunt worked for the chancellor, um, still works for the chancellor at the law center. And she was just like, you should just come here. You know, I knew nothing about law school. Nobody in my family is a lawyer. Um, I was probably the highest educated in my family, Mm -hmm. but... Um, she was just like, just come here. So I, that's the only school I applied to. And that's the school that I got into. And <laughs> of course, she gonna get in. Yeah, you know, the chancellor. Come listen, on, yeah. listen. No, and, and honestly, built honestly, yeah, no, just, by the I'm grace, just... I'm not gonna lie. By the grace, I got in because I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know what I was gonna do next. But uh-huh. also, um, they just, it just seemed like a good opportunity, and I, I knew I wanted to kind of go. Uh, I was a poli sci major, and you know, you, you either go like MPA route, public policy, or you go law school. That's pretty much how they teach you. They don't tell you all the other routes you can go, but you know. So, I chose Southern, of course. My dad was like, "You're not going to any other school," so that's the one. I was like, <laughs> right. and so I, I chose there, and I'm glad I did. Um, I was able to um learn more about the culture. My dad is from Louisiana. My brother lives there. I mean, they're from New Orleans and grew up in Baton Rouge. My brother's in Baton Rouge, like I said, my aunt. So a lot of my, his side of the family that I interacted with norm, like regularly, but not like that. I got the opportunity to do that. And, and that was an experience in itself, but really I just, the culture of the whole city um, and that school and what it means to that city. It, it was, it was, um, it was definitely an honor to be there. Uh, so you are, so let's go into volleyball, like that perspective too. Because um, what, first of all, what uh, community college did you go to in Kansas? Because I, I live in Missouri, or Kansas City, oh, okay. Missouri. So. I went to Coffeeville Community College. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah, very small. And actually, one of my teammates at the time is from uh, Kansas City, Missouri. And she, um, but she ended up going to Alabama, I think, Alabama State. Yeah, because there's Alabama A&M. She went to Alabama State, I believe. But um, she she loved it, too. I mean, we both loved it, but she ended up going to HBCU. So she had a whole different experience. And that was cool to see, but um, yeah, I went there first. Um, they gave me a scholarship. I thought I was going to be there for two years, but ended up getting picked up um, by, I like self-promoted myself. So like mm-hmm. I sent a lot of tapes back then. It was actual DVDs, you know, not yeah. they sent links. <laughs> we didn't do all that back then, you know, sending DVDs. So I, that's how I got recruited for a lot of schools um, that were looking at me because it's so many volleyball players where the tournaments where there's hundreds of courts, uh-huh. you know, they're not really looking for the black, girl I mean if you're a black girl who's tall yeah but yeah. I'm I'm five one and a half so I only played back row so at that point I was competing against mediocrity which was mediocre white people or people who were taller than me so um and it, it was very much a racial game back then now it's a different story because black people have really penetrated volleyball Mm. and taking over. I mean, I feel like we take over any sport that we, we do. If we put our mind to it, you know, uh-huh. we, we just take over. We just, it's oh, just, yeah. we just have the gift, and that's just what it is. But, yeah, that's that's um, the school I went to. And uh, so yeah, I got a student that got a full ride of basketball, uh, a female student that has a full ride basketball scholarship to Dillard. Okay. Um, and 
I thought that was interesting, the connection right there. Yeah, uh, um, <laughs> I, we were really close with the, with the with the basketball team. Like, I still have uh, plenty of friends with the male and female basketball team. Um, and that, you know, athletes pretty much stuck together there at um, Dillard. But it's, it's such a such a unified and it's a prestigious campus like you don't just Dillard is not a school I didn't so when you go to Dillard even if you're a a volleyball or I mean an athlete you have to have a at least a 3-3 GPA to get into Dillard so it's not like you know they're a private institution but and then getting in normally uh to even get a scholarship there you're definitely hitting at least a 3-5-3-6 and it's hard and it's a very expensive school to go to so there are people who are deliberately choosing to go to Dillard with no um, scholarships, and but they had the GPA to get in, which it's they very they're not like, you know, one of those like come in, come all. It's mm-hmm. more of like a you either have it or you don't have it because that's the they, them and Xavier is the exact same way. So, it's 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 pretty difficult to get into Dillard. So at that time, I had um, built up my GPA at the community college, and I was a that's how I was able to get a full ride because it wasn't full a- uh, athletic; it was half academic, half athletic. So um, that's the only way a lot of the in, um, NAIA schools work. So. Yeah, I went. I went to an NAIA school. So you know, I didn't, you know, yeah, you know I, I didn't get no full, no, no. Yeah, well, we got partial scholarships just like that. Mm-hmm. They always uh, tied into an academic yep. or whatever. So, uh, so now you're doing. You you're a lawyer. Yeah, so I'm a lawyer, not not fully licensed. Um, I took the bar three times in Texas, and I failed. Um, but at the time, I wasn't truly committed to it. Also, I um, didn't really know my purpose and my passion. My purpose, my passion is more like policy, but also more so I've considered myself an access cultivator. So I'm very big on um, the betterment of our people. And um, I you do to do that policy plays a huge role. So I I work heavily in the political realm. I um, do a lot of compliance for uh, black candidates. I um, have my nonprofit Activate, um, where we are going to be basically doing land preservation by having actual um, not only just students but formerly incarcerated and some that are incarcerated. Hopefully, we can get into that situation um, where we will basically go to black farmers and say, hey, did you, uh, I mean, I see that your land is like not sustainable. You don't want to lose your land. We can preserve it for you. And, and we're not going to, you don't have to pay us Thank to do you. this. You yeah. know what I mean? Like <laughs> we're going to get it back right. And if they don't want it, then we will purchase it and still circulate it back into the black community. So it won't be, you know, they'll, they'll, they will, they will get something out of it and somebody else will get some land. You know, I don't know what we're going to yeah. be trying to get people a pipeline into careers. So even like those who are formerly incarcerated, you know, they, they come out and they want to, um, they, they sometimes don't want to go into just like regular jobs that people always try and place them into. So what if we were able to get like, gift them a farm, like, you know, mm-hmm. they sustain that they learned that's lucrative in the long run. People don't understand land is valuable, but also, having your own farm is huge. And, and that's what we lose our land a lot of times because of the, the criminal justice system. We're having to put it up, our families having to do all that. So this is just bringing it back full cycle and taking about back the ground that we nurtured or our ancestors nurtured. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I think 
I'm trying to get back to the question. That's my ADHD. Just know I just nah, lost you're that fine. somewhere. <laughs> what? You, you, took it, you took it where you're supposed to take it. <laughs> no. But so no, I, 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 I am taking the bar again. That's I remember okay, you saying like where yeah. I am. Yeah, so I'm taking it this summer. I'm taking the DC bar. Um, I am six years removed from law school, but I am um, in a better headspace. You know, like I'm more prepared. I was 24 when I graduated law school. I wasn't ready to take that on um, at that time. I was immature, really didn't know my own, um, where I wanted to be. And then also I, I wasn't, I was a decent student, but I could have been better. Like I was still out at Bayou Classic when you weren't supposed to be at Bayou Classic. So, you know, <laughs> when you're supposed just, to be studying. You know, yeah. you're supposed to be studying. It's finals week and they're like, you later, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to go on bourbon. It was just terrible. I, I just wasn't the best. So, you know, <laughs> you have to put in what you want to get out of it. But now, you know, it's a different situation. I'm removed, so I take the law at face value. But also I have honed in on like Southern's core value. Seriousness of purpose was uh, Southern University Law Center's um, motto and I didn't take that serious I didn't know what that meant I didn't embody what that meant and but now I do and I think that it shows in everything that I do um, now so yeah, that's amazing because uh, you mentioned in there where like uh, you, you didn't know your purpose and you were kind of immature at, tw- at 24 years old and I work with students that are 18, 19, or 17, 18, 19, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they think they know everything, oh, and, and which, which, which is, you know, they yeah. know a lot. But um, I think black and brown people, we we tend to not just take in the information. We, we tend to combat it because uh, the the difference between the generations is that we tell people that are younger than us what what to do, not not hey, this is the information, yep. so take it and use it. How you you need to use it within the time frame that you are living in. Yep, giving them the space to grow in the circumstances that they're presented with. You know, we were definitely not taught that. <laughs> we were definitely yeah. like, this is how it goes, no matter what. And you know, everybody thought our generation was doomed. You know, like, and and really and truly, I see so many leaders in our generation because we're just not backing down. Like we were saying, like, you tried it one way and obviously y'all settled for what it was. And now we're just mm. going to come in and we're going to we're going to multiply the things that you guys were doing. We're going to take it to the next level. And I think that the youth really, we really need to be um, supportive of everything they want to do. And like you said, give them more of a um, here's the here's the playbook you know, do it how you feel, like, you know, do what you need to do with it. But this is, this is what has worked. So it's proven what hasn't worked in our experience, but it may not be proven in yours, but, you know, take it as you see it. So I think and, that, that that's our job. Yeah. 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 And, and that's really my, like, I'm taking on that responsibility because like I am trying to connect. Uh, so this is how I explain it. The generation, generation X, gener- uh, millennials, generation Z. So, gener- uh, generation X wanted to, uh, they they worked hard, like mm-hmm. physically. You know, um, they they built their families, and uh, in their time, in their generation, it was it was manual labor. Yeah. Millennials started getting the the technology, so it was kind of uh, we we had that in between of. Hey, we can do physical labor or 
um, we can use this technology that's starting to come out and um, make it a little bit more simpler for us. Not easy, but simpler for us. Right. And those two generations didn't, or Generation X just was like, well, you're not working hard or whatever. And (laughs) we like, well, we got this technology that we don't have to work as hard and Mm -hmm. we can enjoy some of the things of life and, and kind of put it together. And then Generation Z comes along and all they know is technology. Yeah. So Generation X and Generation Z, Generation X is telling Generation Z that, oh, like you don't work hard at all. Even mm-hmm. though they work hard in some ways, it's just different yep. than than what they did. And millennials, um, and 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 Generation Z is just it. it they just don't know what they don't know. Like yep. we we didn't really teach them, but every generation, I believe, is supposed to move the the society forward, right? Yep. Yep. And then, so when it comes to Generation Z, the the younger generations now, they are supposed to um, combine the hard work and the technology together to move us even further. So if we can un- let, help them understand how to work hard in the time period that they're in, mm-hmm. we will have so many more ideas and innovations which we are, and we see it, but I, I, I think that it's going. It can be across the board, and even like real monumental here in the next ten to twenty years, right? Because yeah. those those students are going to be, um, become leaders, and they want to make change, and I see it in them now because of you know all the, the the social issues that are going on. And they want to make change, but they're going to get that opportunity because in 20 years, this country will be a majority minority country. So now you have the opportunity that we didn't have at this point in time. And our, uh, our relatives and ancestors didn't have at, at before us. Right. And I, I mean, I'm here to like, I teach my students all the time. Like I, if I walk with a student, like I have to take them from, whatever conversation that we're at and I have to take them full circle and and see the whole picture before I leave that student every single time because I don't know when I'm going to get that opportunity again and I just think that like I'm 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 part of the process and I'm I'm just looking at where I can fit in and and just making that connection between the the generations is is a key point that um I want to get across to people yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, we definitely are. We need to know when to get out of the way. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't think about that. I always say sometimes it's about opening the door and then just holding that and get out the way. Like it's not about opening it, showing them the pathway, doing all this, because sometimes we give these people we give people and we're we've been given this whole wait your turn situation Mm -hmm. and I had to tell you know a lot of people they would get in in positions that I've been in they never would understand why I was always like I mean I don't understand why I need to wait 10 years to be a VP I don't know why I need to be 10 years to be somebody's CEO or 15 years or whatever that doesn't time only is put in place to hold black people and people of color back 
because mm-hmm. we already started a disadvantage. Let's look at it. If you start a company, and that's why we need to embrace people who want to be entrepreneurs, young kids who want to do their own thing, because if you start a company, you name yourself CEO, it blows up in a year. Do you, mm-hmm. do, does that mean that you needed 10 years to become a CEO, to learn no. what that means? No, it, it blew up in a year. I'm now, I'm the CEO and it blew up and now I'm, I'm hiring people under me. So, so who am I to go say, oh, I need a COO who's been doing it for 10 years. Like that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but that's the mentality that we're forced with. Do you think people just don't understand that they look at, they look at you and see that you're young and they, they don't think that you have the experience or they don't look at uh, what the the key traits are the characteristics of that position that they need and then look at the person that's in front of them and see do they meet these characteristics I think that people equate experience to years instead of experience to actual um experience like or or like ability you know what I mean Uh I always tell people in my interviews I'm like listen I don't plan to be in any position where you're going to try and hold me back based on years in time what I'm explaining to them is that in 30 days I'm going to probably learn this position and exceed it by the 60th day I'm going to try and learn half of your position and that's so that I can assist you in your problems but what they don't understand is, is that Anybody who can get to anybody who has any type of like brain with knowledge on how to learn something and heck with the use of YouTube and Google at this point, we could pretty much do anything. (laughs) I don't need, I don't need years to to do your job. Like, and also some stuff is just common sense and, and it's lived experiences and like, you know, in certain jobs, I've tell people all the time, there's a lack of perspective. If there is, if you, when people of color tend to have a, a more of a perspective than others because of lived experience. So mm-hmm. that already makes us 10 times better because we already have an advantage that we're going to look at it from all angles. So I'm not, so outside of knowledge that I may learn in a book, I mean, I have lived experience. So I don't mm-hmm. need to wait 16 years for that lived experience. I've been right. doing this all my life. Like this all is a skill set that I've learned. I've been analytical. I've been quick on my feet. Let's, let's be honest. Let's look at those who were, who were the the supposed drug dealers of marijuana back in the day? Now, mm-hmm. now it's legal, right? We only, right. and first of all, it's only legal because they can monetize it now. They had yeah. to figure out how they could win, but most criminals are normally masterminds in some sort. They got some type of level that really, they be understanding how to do a lot of negotiating, a lot of deal, a lot of stuff we don't even, this, that's living organizational leadership. Come on now. You know, these are things, but they don't look at it that way because how dare we know how to do something better, you know? Mm -hmm. And at this point, the growth and success of black people matters in the sense of that we don't need all of the time. We're already set back because yeah. like I told people, you can come out, you come out of undergrad, you get to go straight on the hill, right? You go to Capitol Hill, you start working. I go to law school just to get the advantage that you'll have by going straight into Capitol Hill. But now I done mm-hmm. wasted three years in law school and I try and get out. I'm making less than you. And I have more not only experience, but also I have a higher degree, but I'm still paid less. Right. So this is this is the level that we're dealing with when we're talking about 
people not accepting that to, the times change just like the youth has changed. And so they are, I don't think that the youth should say, oh, what, ha- what y'all have done isn't working. I think they should just say like, yeah, it works, but it has some, it has some holes. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and we can yeah. fix that. And, and, and y'all, case, we can only take it. them so far. And everybody right. can, like our parents can only take us so far in yep. their knowledge base. Yep. That's true, especially because some of our parents didn't even have formal education. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it doesn't mean that they're not smart. And I like to tell people all the time, educated does not mean um, formal education. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there are some people that have no degrees, that could even be high school, that to me are, are brilliant. And that's mm-hmm. because, like I said, we have access to the resources to learn that kind of stuff. And also some stuff that we do is common sense. So what seems so trivial to a lot of other people in our life, we're like, that's a simple fix because we've always had to do what I consider getting it how we live. And that's the difference is that we have grit and we have um, we have just that background type of situation that other people don't. And that doesn't mean, oh, I grew up poor. So I did it. No, that means I grew up black mm-hmm. and I've experienced a lot of things being black. And that's mm-hmm. just what it is. And now here we are in 2021 and it's just proven like now you see a lot more black people getting the their just due, but we're also still so long, got a long way to go. But that's also, yeah. we yeah. have so much of this. We really have to get rid of our crab in the bucket mentality and come together and start really, really breaking bread to make things work and stop trying to own, be the only one doing stuff thing. Because sometimes a collective pot of people, when you divide that up, it comes out to more than what you'll make alone. Right. And people right. got to start being more collaborative. Because you look at every other race, they all work together regardless yeah. of how they like each other. Mm-hmm. We just don't. But that's Jim Crow all in, tied into it. So I, you yeah. know, I think about it all. I, I'm, a, I'm a history, walking history book in my head. It's like our generational trauma. I wrote a book last year. Yeah, and I talked about that, you know, and I talked about it's called Through These Eyes, Surrendering Ties of My Soul. And it was about how my past trauma and generational trauma trickled down to end up bringing me trauma, which shaped me into, you know, a person that I was. Now that you, when you break free from all of that, when you stop worrying about these norms and we start looking at society as a whole and we break away from the norms that we that were placed upon us, not norms mm-hmm. that we create we can be better as a, as a whole. And it's so hard. And I see people and I try, I, I never give up on our people as much as it hurts to watch sometimes like the things that we do, but mm-hmm. you talk about things that are drilled and instilled in you. It's almost like somebody in religion. Once it's instilled in them, that's what they believe, you know? Yep. And so the, the kind and belief of belief is a powerful thing. It, it's so powerful. And, and it's hard to shake your mind at that. And because we don't care, we don't um, take mental health as serious. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, it was a stigma behind going and uh, going to therapy and all that kind of stuff. But people who seek that out, it's nothing wrong with that. You know, right now in 2020, I I never, ever, ever thought I was going to go see uh, a therapist. I saw a therapist in tw- this year because last year was just a lot. I mean, yeah, between yeah. what happened and what we've been seeing for all of our lives, like last year was a lot. Even if it wasn't happening directly to you indirectly it was happening to you mm-hmm. and that you couldn't help but feel that and that was just being bringing on all kind of like anxiety that you don't even know you have yeah. you're exhausted at work you don't even want to work with people now mm-hmm. you know like we got to look at these people every day and they don't know and people say things that we used to brush off and now you're not as you're not as um you're not open to letting that slide anymore. Anymore, yeah. You know, I'm not letting you slide with stuff that you say. Like, what do you mean when you say certain things? You know, so it's it's almost like um, 
you have to have the belief in what you really care about. Cause I will tell anybody and there is no job that is worth it. If I feel like I'm in an environment that's racist and my husband is fully on board with that. So that's why I always tell him, baby, keep your job, you know, cause I'm telling you now <laughs> where I work in the places that I work, sometimes I am the only black person in leadership. Mm-hmm. Like right now I'm, it's only two of us in leadership, but I'm the only black person in the executive office. And so I, I don't, you know, I have the I have the responsibility to keep them on their toes, but also not let up on diversity. Like I'm never going to yeah. let up on that. Mm-hmm. And so these are the things that we have to keep in the forefront of our mind when we're talking about, you know, advancing success of our people. You know, yeah. like what does it look like? How do you help other people up? You have a responsibility to as a leader to bring other leaders up and then redefine what leader means. It yes. doesn't mean that you're yes. you're highly educated. It doesn't mean that you're at the top of your... It's like, what are you doing? You know, are you providing access, resources, money, revenue, everything back into the, into our people? Are you pouring back? Are you giving back? But not only that, when you're when you're up top, are you bringing them up? I bring people up. And my, my last boss, um, shout out to Jamar Brown, he brought... He, when he hired me, he said, I'm going to change your life. And I am going to put you in a position to where you'll always be able to advance. Um, and he did, and he uses his platform for the betterment of people. And that is what power is. And that is what it looks like when you're talking about building success, but also continuing growth of success when it's in our people. So that's just a little, you know, the gem for the people one time, you know, that's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) That ain't all you got. (laughs) Man, that's... I, I'm just sitting here in, in amazement because, uh, like, I'll I be thinking the same thing along the same lines, just in a, a different uh, 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 environment, which is education. You know what I mean? And, I mean, it's, it all ties in. Everything is connected. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about your, your you, you've talked about your... Um, uh, a nonprofit? Is it a nonprofit? Or yeah, yeah. I have um, I have the two Inca. Non- yeah, I have the Ink Up. I have that and Activate. So the Ink Up was um, is a organization just basically like to advance uh, Black literary. So people who want to learn how to like do any type of um, literary work, whether re- write a book, become a um, you know a um, person who who does blog posting, I don't know, filmmaking, whatever it is, I connect them with people who are in those type of industry industries. Um, sometimes we give away like a start to finish of somebody who wants to write a book. I'll um, have that donated. There was one person that I did that for. And we're going to be trying to do that like every month, um, mm. making sure that they get the opportunity. If you want to be an author, if that's something you've always aspired to be, um, I have, I'll put editors in place, publishers, book um, cover art people, like just trying to connect people. But intent, the intent behind it will be to, you know, create our own, um, what we consider our own community of successful writing, because most mm-hmm. of us will never make it to the New York's best, uh, you know, New York Seller. Times bestsellers list, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we're not getting picked up. Our voices aren't being heard. Now they're trying to do more. But um you know, create but your you own can community. make a living. You yeah, can still make you, a living. You can still a make good a living. living. So it's like, you know, do your do how do we build a community around our voices that we want? You know, so that's the whole goal behind that. Um and then I have Activate, and that's the one I told you about with the mm-hmm. more of the agriculture aspect. 
And then, um, but everything I do is, is to pour back into, uh, pour back into the black community, but even more so with Activate, you know, and the Ink Up, it's pouring back into black students, especially at HBCUs, because I can provide them with opportunities. Um, and a lot of times you don't get those opportunities, but also able to, you know, push on to other people um, the point of the need for it so that when you are looking to donate and give back, you know, giving incentives to HBCUs is always, always on the forefront of my mind. I, I, I'm working with a group to make a HBCU super PAC from the political space to be able to um, have that type of pool influence when it comes to um, people who want to put in HBCU initiatives that are going to actually provide them with the funding and resources they need to sustain because HBCUs, you know, they would kill us off if they could. They don't want mm -hmm. um, them to sustain. A lot of times people don't understand. I, when we were in Texas, so um, there's Texas A&M and there's Prairie View um, A&M. Prairie View and, Tex and Texas A&M are supposed to split um, the funding because they're under the same umbrella. And so the funding should be leveled out and equal, which is why if you go to Prairie View now, you'll see like their campus is really being rebuilt. They're there um, a lot of it. But for a while, A&M was getting all the money and they never knew they were supposed to be getting some of this money. Do you get what I'm mm -hmm. saying? So this is years mm -hmm. and years and years of a lot of their funding. They weren't getting it. So just that's the kind of stuff that happens in, in real time. So and is that is that is that the policy background? Because I've had another guy on uh, talking about policy and and that do you see that because of your um, your background in policy? And so I found that out when I was in undergrad. Yeah, well, I was studying policy then. But I was in undergrad and I remember it being a big like ordeal that happened. Mm -hmm. And um, people at Prairie View found out and it was just like this huge thing. And that was my first time realizing like, oh, wow, like this happens. You know, like this is this is why, why HBCUs, if you got on an HBCU campus, certain ones, you know, they need a lot of upkeep and a lot of uplifting. They're mm -hmm. old buildings. Like there are things that really need to be done. There shouldn't be walking in when it floods. You can't go on the first floor of a building. Like it's, it's certain things that just shouldn't happen, right? But mm -hmm. it's, it's happening because they are lacking the funding. And a lot of times it is pulled for the right, right resources. And it doesn't make sense to me because these are public institutions most of the time, some of them. And, and even if they are private, it's the principal, like, they'll say, well, you know, the alums need to give back. I mean, these schools don't have as many students. We are giving that. Mm -hmm. But there should be, there should be, if we did never had to have a reason for our HBCU, then we should have never had to, like, there, we had to do that because we didn't get the option. If right. you cause that reason, then it should be some type of um, kickback that is given to HBCUs. And in mm -hmm. great deference, they should be giving it to them. And so I have a problem with, that and that is a policy issue and a lot of times now they're pressing politicians about mm -hmm. it so they are doing it um, um yeah you good you good that's because uh, what comes from to my mind is uh dr king speaks about uh we coming for our check he was like they gave land grant uh colleges money to fund their colleges and and all of that and he was like we're coming for our check like, yeah <laughs> when we marched on I think that was one of the speeches before he, they marched on Washington before he got assassinated and yeah. uh, <laughs> that's 
and I didn't, I don't, I think we're, we're so caught up in, well, I'm not going to say we, I've been so caught up in my own life that, you know, it's hard to be able to, um, take in all the issues and, uh, understand what's going on and, and why it's important to fund HBCUs because the, the people that I know from HBCUs, they have a, a, a confidence about them that when they walk in a room, they, they don't, they don't minimize themselves to fit into that room you know they walk in with their heads up and and ready to take on challenges and know their worth like that's something that I see in myself that I don't have all the way like and and maybe it's because of my personality too and and what I'm trying to do I kind of like to stay under the radar and learn the different nuances of things so that I can come out of uh, the shallow water and go into the deep end with a full head of steam to to dive all the way down and and find that sunken treasure that we that 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 has been missing for for many years and bring it up to the surface so that everybody can see this is how you do it right, right. these are the nuances that, like you look for this look for that and 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 position yourself this way and that way and then you you'll get whatever you want. Because I, I work with students that, like, from where I see it, I'm like, I need you to uh, be great, and you are great. But when you go to a, any school that you go to, I need you to be 100% yourself. Because if if you conform to societal norms that are in, in our society right now, we won't get your gift that you have because of the uh, circumstances that you've overcome and lived uh, to get and and get that advert uh, that that equivalent or greater advantage from your adversity, you know. And right. um, that's that's what I try to get to my students and uh, help them understand that I need your uniqueness. You're mm-hmm. you're unique, and you're going to help a lot of people because I believe that those at the bottom um, can help the ones at the bottom, the top, they don't even know what the bottom really needs, the nuances of what they really need. So we need those people that come from the bottom that make it out and are make it to wherever they want to go. And uh, Dr. Or I don't know if he's Dr. Uh, Attorney Ben Crump uh, gave a, a speech. He was like, it is your responsibility to take that knowledge that you just got from this uh, from this prestigious university and give it back to the, co- the community. Go yeah. back to the hood. You got to You got to say what you need to say and and give that knowledge back because it's our responsibility. It is. And I, I believe that <laughs> I believe that to be true. <laughs> yep. And it's a, it's a, it's a, your, one of your greatest honors though, is to give back because mm-hmm. you probably wished that somebody had done somebody that, paid it, it for it. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, cause you wouldn't, cause a lot of times we stumble because we don't have those people reaching back saying like, Hey, let me just give you this direct pathway. Like, let me show you what, what it, it could be. And, and let me get you the guidelines. Let me give you the game really quick because they can, pour into you like mentorships are real all of mm-hmm. that is stuff that we are is needed i definitely think going back to community and pouring back into it is great or any community that you can influence i think a lot of people you know it is hard when you come from some people 
they come from very small rural areas or very like very 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 horrible like areas that they don't want to go back to i get it and mm-hmm. you could find ways to reach back without having to live there people always say oh you have to live there to be invested i don't think that's true uh, you uh-uh. <laughs> you can touch and you can touch in an uh, area and definitely still help without having to physically be there every single day i don't think that i don't think that there's anything wrong with elevating and separating as long as they're elevating and separating it's just not to like totally dismantle what is down there and like forget about it you never forget it you always reach back and try and help but it does cause for separation when some things could hinder you from going forward so that is a that's a learned skill that people have to understand and that doesn't mean and you know because people will this is one thing that you know you hear this in a lot of like rap songs it's like money and greed or success it, they always say that they think it's it's the people who who are successful that have forgot where they come from but they don't realize the people around you who have not attained that success are the people that typically change mm. and typically are the people who you know they make a bigger deal out of what you're doing than you really feel. You know, when I came back home, everybody was like, oh, you went to law school and blah, 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 and this is that. And I was just like, oh, okay. Like, I, I feel regular. I, want, I am regular. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to feel any type of weakness, but I also had to take on that. I do need to elevate and separate at some point. You know what I mean? Because sometimes you you can have that mentality of like, and it gets you in trouble or it you make mistakes being too comfortable because we do take great pride in the things we did. I did work hard for my degree. I'm not going to mm-hmm. give it up just because I'm doing something that somebody else will find their benefit. If it's not beneficial as a whole and if it's not a benefit that is going to really be great for everybody, I'm not going to partake. So it's about having that deference, but still giving back. I mean... I just, I really don't know what people's, I don't understand what people are doing, but they don't think that they need to give back to anything. Like a lot of people are this, oh, I got it on my own and I had this, this and that. And, and I'm like, if we're being honest, that typically is like white people who grew up poor, when they come out of the of, mm-hmm. of poorness and become really, really successful, they look down and frown upon black people who are poor, who um, are still struggling. Right. And it's right. like, you still have that one thing that's super advantage, and that's that skin color. I don't mm-hmm. care how you what you came from. You can totally act as if that never happened when you go mm-hmm. where you're going. People won't know that you're from a poor situation because all they're going to see is white skin. We instantly come in, like I say, we're 10 steps behind. Mm-hmm. So when we do get ahead, a lot of people do are like, man, I finally got here, man. I can't be wasting all my time trying to reach back and get somebody because some pe- some of us do forget. But that is also, like I said, generational. And that's really not. And that's a personal thing. Too. It's a personal thing. So it's like, you know, we just have to keep growing and like, I really think people also should understand because I'm really hoping that my kids go to an HBCU. And I'm going to say that because experiencing both there's nothing like going to HBCU. And I say that because it, you need to know your culture. You need to go learn that African uh, African diaspora, okay? Because they mm-hmm. you're going to get that African diaspora class. You're not getting out of that. You go to HBCU. You're taking <laughs> it. I'm letting you know. So whatever school it is, if you're going to a PWI right now and you're about to go to grad school, I say go to HBCU. It will change your life. I don't remember a lot from my undergrad, but I remember everything from my, my law center. Like, that's how much it it changes your life because of the culture and what you get to do, being with your people, being around a bunch of successful people who are your people, being around a bunch of people who want to be successful. That is in it's intoxicating in the best way. And I say that 
you will get a great education. Most of your professors have PhDs or, or some distinguished type of situation. So you, you're going to get the same education and we don't have to see it any longer as, oh, it's not good enough. It's not the same. Now, don't get it twisted. If you want to go to Harvard, you want to go to Yale, you want to go to any other school, you can. But I'm telling you, it won't make you any better. I can tell you now, you could put any lawyer from Harvard up against a lawyer from Southern and I will bake on Southern every single day because we're built different. And that's just the truth. And so it is about the, you know, the climb. It's not always about when you're, you're at the top. It's about the climb. And a lot of times people who come into schools such as PWIs, they don't have that kind of climb and journey of knowing what it is to persevere, knowing how it is to fight and truly get to where you want to go with hard work. They don't have it. I was I took a class at LSU Law while I was at school at Southern Law, and they were able to use their outlines during tests. It was an open book test. At Southern, there is no such thing. There is no such thing. You memorize every single law. You take one test at the end of that semester, and that's based on the whole semester, and you, you better know it. Or if you don't, you just don't. And that's just what it is. And, and we, we're on a curve system. So everybody who starts with you does not finish. So at mm. the end of the day, it was much harder. And we, I, I know it, it push, pushes us back some because people are like, oh, why would they have y'all do all of that? That's because they're telling you nothing in life comes easy. easy we might as well yeah. show you now. And mm -hmm. they did show us, you know, and it wasn't just only black students at that school. And some of the most successful white students, I mean, white attorneys came from Southern Law Center. And that's any school. I, I bet you if you look at TSU, look at Howard Law, look at FAMU, look at any black law school, any white attorneys that come out of there are probably superior to any white, white school attorney. And, and that's mm -hmm. because they had to go through it. It's no different for them. And that's the first time that we get to be the majority and they get to be the minority. That's mm -hmm. a feeling that you want to experience. Okay. I'm telling mm -hmm. you, it's the best thing. I, so that's, that is my, my biggest thing I could say today is that do not think that because you go to an HBCU, that it's an L compared to going to a PWI, you will understand that you will experience something that you get to be amongst your people. Yes, there'll be drama. Yes, you're like, oh, it's just too many of us at times. Yes, it is. It is overwhelming. But it could easily be you being the only white, black person and it being all of them. And I'm sorry, but I would rather my people any day. And at this point, it is the time for us to come together. The times have changed. The world looks different. We need to be like what um, Damon, the one who did made FUBU for us, by us, it literally needs to be we need to be going to schools that are for us and uh, made by us. That's just how I see it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, let, let, the reason why we're here is to plug the book, the HBCU Experience Absolutely. Movement. Uh, give us a little snippet of, of what you wrote in your chapter and, and um, another set of words of wisdom. If you got it, <laughs> you got something else in you. So and first, we'll get out of here for today. First, I'm definitely gonna shout out to Dr. Little and Janae and everybody who is a part of the book. All of my co-authors, um, this book is gonna be awesome. You, you know, you don't always get the opportunity to 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 give back, and this book is gonna be us be giving back to um, Southern University. You also don't get the opportunity to, to hear inside the minds of those who went to Southern. We have five systems at Southern, the only HBCU that has that, by the way. And we have, which means we have different campuses else in other places, including the Law Center. And um, so I wanted to shout that out first. My chapter is about a little bit what I've talked about before was um, 
basically my experience, I was very green when I went into law school. I didn't appreciate their terminology of seriousness of purpose. I didn't know my purpose. So, you know, my journey through law school, I, I was more of the one that was like, um, uh, this is not all what it's cracked up to be being here. It's this, this, and that. But in hindsight, it really shaped me who I was because they didn't give up on me when I gave up on myself. They didn't expect anything less than excellence. And I, my, my chapter is called Excellence Over Excuses because I have, I'm a person who used to have so many excuses and I would run and decide like, if it's not good enough, I got to go. Like, if I don't like it, I'm, I'm leaving or if it's not working out, I'm not doing it. They don't give you that, that room. It's more of like a, you can keep, unless you just completely like drop out or fail out, which would mean you're doing absolutely nothing or you just really don't grasp it. But if you're still in it and you're still in the fight, they're going to keep pushing you in that fight. They're going to let you know that you're doing something that you not need to be doing and where you need to be. And so that my chapter is basically saying like, when you go to HBCU, no matter what it is, because of the excellence there and the expectation of excellence, you can either run from that excellence because you're not used to it, because that level of excellence is times 10. Their expectation of excellence is times 10. It's not like anywhere else. They're not going to, you're not a number. You are their personal family and they take it serious. And so mine is just a basically about like, I had a lot of excuses of why Southern shouldn't have been what it was or a lot of excuses to why I wanted to think that Southern wasn't great. And in reality, I just couldn't accept greatness because I didn't see greatness in myself. And so that's mostly what my chapter is about. Well, thank you. I appreciate all your your wisdom, the work you do. Um, it, it, shoot, I need it, I need to get those those links to the social media. You can send it in the email for do. your your organizations that you uh founded, sure. all of that stuff. Because I, I'm writing a book too. My first book uh is I developed a a um, philosophy for individual achievement okay. that I I want to put out there. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna get that done this summer while yeah. I am off from school. So uh, go for it. I definitely yeah. have a I have a fiction book that I'm working on. Well, okay. once I finish the bar, I'll start back into it. But I'm working on it. It's my first time writing fiction, so it's new. Um, nonfiction is a little bit different. You know, you it's kind of your experiences. Fiction is you got to be really creative to do it. So you know, right. ooh, we gonna see how it goes. But yeah. um, get that excited. first one under your you belt. Know, <laughs> I did. I got. I, I'll see what I can do here. But uh, I'm re- that's really uh, dope what you're doing. Keep doing. I really appreciate you having me here. We definitely will connect on more things. Um, if anybody, um, I'll send over my social media. But if anybody does want to follow me and my journey, I am especially on Instagram. Or honestly, I'm just gonna say this: if you type in my name, which is spelled Y L A D R E A, you will find me because I'm the only one that has that name. So, um, luckily, you know, so you can find me on any uh, social media platform like that. And then um, after this summer, I plan to relink all of my um, my um, nonprofits and all of that back to um, that account. So everybody can see it with my current job. I technically Mm -hmm. cannot promote all of my other uh, stuff on social. I can't really show my connection to it based on the um, level of my career right now or my job so but if you would like activate dot leadership is for activate the ink up is the dot ink up and that's for the ink up and then i also have my compliance firm is capital strategies um so yeah 
check me out. I got a lot going on, but um, (laughs) I am always linking with people and I'm always here to push Black excellence forward. Please, please, please get our book. It'll be released on June 3rd on Amazon. And um, look out for it. It's going to be a success um, because we're just, it's a group of successful people who um, really just didn't take, you know, no for an answer. And I'm just glad and happy to be a part of it. So the HBCU experience movement is so dope for um, putting this together. And I just hopefully hope you guys love it and check it out. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Success is My Religion podcast. Make sure you go get the HBCU Experience Movement new book out on Amazon. Make them a uh, the best-selling authors this time again. Uh, I go get that book, the HBCU Experience, the Southern University System Edition. It, it is great. The co-authors are great. You heard it. Go get it. Talk to you soon.